0: In Hebrews, the readers are rebuked for not yet being teachers, that instead they're just babies. But what does Christian progression towards maturity look like? Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Seitz.
1: I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horne.
0: God has given us the image of being born again to, to have this, this connection between the physical and the spiritual, and we see that God is our Father and He's raising us as children, like it says in Hebrews 12, but there isn't that much about what it looks like to actually be raised as a spiritual child, but at the same time, God has given us really strong physical pictures in Scripture, and so tonight we want to talk about how those physical pictures tie to spiritual realities of, what, of how people should be advancing. For instance, there's there's stages of life like from conception to when you're weaned where scripture talks about certain characteristics and that we all know what those things look like because we see it around us, or so childhood, from like being weaned to to when you hit puberty and then puberty to young adulthood, where you're establishing your household and doing these things. And and then you have thirty where there's a pretty clear demarcation. That's where you can actually start to become a priest. That's where Christ actually starts his ministry. And so we see that there's these points in life where, where there are stages that you're supposed to go through. And then you have the work of the ministry is from 30 to 50. And then after 50, you start to become an elder where you're, where you're not actually doing the work anymore. Now you're more overseeing and managing and, and preparing the next generation. And so we see physically these stages throughout, throughout Scripture. And there's a, a spiritual parallel, if you will. And right now, I think when Paul writes in Hebrew, or not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews says that you know that you're still drinking milk; you're acting like someone who has not been weaned yet. And when we look at the church around us, it seems to me that that's pretty much where the American church is. They can't feed themselves; they can't. They they really need somebody to spoon feed them to give them the scripture in very basic terms, rather than actually growing up and being mature. And so the point here is to think through how do you mature and what should maturity look like. So why are the these stages important and how do they how does the physical tie to the spiritual?
2: I think one of the reasons why this is really important is particular to even to I mean in in America we have a very strong sense of like individuality and the rugged individual and there's this part where we think of each person as like each person is unique like a snowflake and there's this truth to the fact that each person has a uniqueness to them. But there's also this part of it where like what we're saying here is God has made it so that each person, there are stages in their life that are designed for specific things. There are stages in your life that are made to actually accomplish certain things to set you up for the next stage. And I mean, one of the reasons why I really wanted to do this episode is as as a person growing up, I've noticed that it's sort of like as you come out of each stage, you look back and you go, oh that's what that stage was for and you didn't take advantage of it you didn't really use it the way you should have and then you kind of are like running as fast as you can to deal with what you're currently in and then as you get to the end of that you go oh that's what that was supposed to be for as well and it seems like it's just it's so it's become this lost thing that that there are that there are stages in life and that there are things that we should be seeking to accomplish and that yes while there is uniqueness and god does specific things with each of us in how those stages are used specifically. We really need to understand the generalities there so that we can actually be, so we can be useful, so you can take advantage of them, so so the next generation coming behind maybe doesn't have to be as confused and running around going, oh, that's what that was for. They can actually use it in the way it was made and actually be prepared.
3: And when you think about why it's important to talk about how the spiritual and the physical are connected or how one gives us a picture of the other, just for the spiritual, we don't necessarily have an expectation, like you were saying in the introduction, Dan, we don't have an expectation in the church that the point of a Christian life is to grow in Christ, is I, to grow up, to grow from being a baby through a, a type of childhood and, and into adulthood and finally to, to be an elder. But it's really obvious that's what every physical person's supposed to do. And there's something wrong if they don't. It, there's something that's been arrested, and we, you know, that arrested development is a sign that something has gone off the rails. But we've come to expect that for for spirituality.
0: And I would even split it into three, right? Because there's intellectually, we have kind of rejected that too, right? We there's people who act like, you know, they're 50 and they act like they're five. And this isn't that. Un- <laughs> I'm
2: only 48. <laughs>
0: There's some people who are 48 that act like they're five. <laughs> Not to name any names. Um, there. I feel better now. <laughs> but, you know, the, in our society, there's there's people who physically they've aged. Physically they're at 50, but yet they're still acting like they're a child and they haven't put away childish things. And, and I do think we need to flip that on. So we're kind of talking both what you should do physically and what you should do spiritually because – we're we're losing it in in a secular sense, if you will, about that people are supposed to grow up. They're supposed to provide, right? We did a podcast on how men don't want to work anymore. Well, that's them trying to ch- stay actually in infancy rather than even childhood, and so we've kind of shifted everything that we're trying to get people to act like they're more and more childish, and this is reflected in the church, and the society won't be fixed until the church is. We've said that many times. And so as we consider these things, we are saying this is what you should do physically, but America is not there. But that also corresponds with what you should do spiritually. And if the church started to say this is what we expect people to do spiritually, the society will start to fix the other one.
2: And I want to really distinguish this episode from we did one not that long ago about childishness. And about stepping away from childishness. While there will be certain things we'll talk about in this episode that are similar, this really is about, that was about, there are specific things that are characteristics of a child. This is, over the entire course of your life, there are phases that are designed to establish and accomplish specific things. And so, this isn't specifically about just putting away childishness, this is about... What does God do in spiritual infancy? That is parallels to physical infancy. What does He do in the childhood stage that parallels physical, you know, inf- your childhood? And as you go through all the way to the later stages of your life, so it's it's there are some similarities, but this should be very distinct.
1: And one thing that's important to note here, um, which I'm sure it'll get mentioned again, is that you know, a spiritual infant, where the spiritual stage of life is not connected. Typically, or even at all, in some cases, to the physical stage of life. Right. So it's not that you know spiritual childhood is when your child is physically a child. If someone is becomes a Christian at eighty, well, they are still a spiritual infant. Then they become a spiritual child. So the the point we, we it's it's easy to get to assume that well if the you know child is saved as a young person and then you know they're not they're a spiritual child and they move through life, but that's not exactly how we should be thinking about it
0: it's important to recognize that if somebody is saved at 80 because of their physical maturity and because hopefully their intellectual maturity they should go through spiritual maturity faster because they are tied together they're not separate either so where we look at physical and we say we can put age ages on this for the spiritual you can't because it's more the direction and somebody who's saved when they're 80 you would expect them to go through the stages a lot faster than somebody who saved at five,
2: right? Like the Apostle Paul, because of giftings and other things, his and maturity his right, was very was right because of his experiences and everything that led up to that was very. His maturity was very rapid, whereas someone else their their spiritual maturity may be slower. You would expect it to be typically slower. Paul would definitely be in the accelerated class.
0: Yes. So let's talk about infancy, and I think it's important to start infancy at conception and not at birth, because so much of that picture there i think we've lost it right because to actually be saved is a it's a hard process and we just kind of go yeah when you're an infant in christ you're just saved and that you know somebody preaches the gospel and you hear the gospel and you respond and that's you know god gives us the picture of conception and the picture of the 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 you know the baby growing in the womb and all these things before finally it takes breath and it has life and so not that there isn't a form of life before that, but it is different at the same time. And you, know, the, you have the picture of the Valley of Dry Bones where there's like actually two speakings to those who were saved. There's a speaking that's basically corresponds to conception where all their bones start to get knitted together. And then there's where they are actually now have breath, where they're spoken to and then they take the breath and they receive the Holy Spirit. And so that picture there... Is even the picture of being born again is embedded in that in in that picture of salvation that we get from Ezekiel,
2: and I think it's really important to if you think about like, we're very much trained by our experiences and by teaching to think of evangelism as solely about that point where the person says makes a profession of faith as opposed to if you think about it in the terms of conception. There can be a real period of time between that moment when God begins to give light to the person, and begin, that person begins moving, and where the Spirit begins to work in them to the point where they actually make some outward profession of faith, where they, where you see them as being like, as like, you know, like if the parallel is, you know, birth, where they actually, you know, are come into the world and you catch them and see them as a baby. There's this hidden thing that has happened and has been happening and where there are real things that have been occurring for a period of time. When you see in 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7, through 7, where Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. You think of that as, that's over, there's just, there's much more time involved in that. There's much more in the sense of, you don't, when you go out, you don't know what you're accomplishing in the same way, and, It's not something that you always think of as, in every engagement, I need to be delivering a baby, because you wouldn't want to deliver a baby two minutes after conception. That would be very dangerous for the baby. There are things that really have to happen, and so you almost create this culture within evangelism of yanking infants from the womb before they're ready to be born, and it's really useful to think about that in a broader context.
0: Right. And it's, it's, you know, we all know what that physical picture of Yankee, I mean, that's abortion, right? And, right. and I think that when you're pushing people to act like they're born again, where they're not born again, you get churches filled with people who are effectively aborted because what you've done is you've convinced them that they're breathing and they're not, they're dead. And you've really harmed them because you've lied to them about where they are. And so a lot of evangelism, I think we should think of it more like abortion rather than than actually being a midwife and, and helping you know the baby come to birth. And it's really dangerous. We need to be really careful about how we do it because, like you said, you can't hurry the processor. It's not that – and God is sovereign over election. God is – but it's more our responsibility. If you're pushing somebody to make a profession of faith, Christ said you have to count the cost before you make a profession of faith, but yet our – standard church practice is to push people to make professions of faith, and we think that's good.
1: But, I mean, you also have the scripture saying, repent today while it's called today.
0: Yes. So you have to balance this.
2: And, I mean, and there's a real shift. Between, I mean, like I said, you can – in this episode, we're not going to talk about this specifically, but I'm sure there'll be a point where we do an episode where we talk about Finney and his – you know, and the, the embracing of, like, you know, the altar call and the more – you know, the – where this this highly emotional push, there's a real difference between going repent today and going I'm going to sing another song, I'm going to push on you, I'm going I'm to make something happen, I'm going to do everything in my power to cause this to happen today as opposed to making the plea and leaving God and, and God does the work.
0: And, and desiring to see the conviction come from God rather than the, the wisdom of men. Another thing that, you know, in my experience is that watching people be saved you know, when we think of childbirth, right, you know, in Genesis 3.16, it says, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And when we think about that, we think of the pain of the mother. But the child's in a lot of pain, too. The child's squished. The child, you know, in watching salvation come to somebody, I think that's a pretty common experience is that it's pretty painful to be saved for most people. And just like in natural births, there's natural births that are really easy, but there's also natural births that are really difficult. And we should recognize that there can be spiritual births that are the same way. And you're talking about pain for the child, pain for the child and where it's, you know, where they're, they're, they're really suffering. Like Joshua, when he was born, he kept stop breathing and stuff. And so, you know, it's, it's, Hard on the child. I mean or not breathing, it, sorry. He he <laughs> his his heart rate would be greatly decreased when during the to the, during the labor pain. So there was a point where they went, You need to do a C section because this could kill the baby. And so, yeah, these are real things that really happen in real birth, and we shouldn't think that these aren't physical pictures of spiritual realities. It's hard to be born again.
2: I mean, and that goes back to what you were saying about when you again When you talk about the gospel and that you're supposed to count the cost there's a part of it where in understanding the gospel you recognize that you have nothing i mean this is why a rich man very rarely comes to the kingdom of heaven is because it's like it's too painful it's too costly for him to enter the kingdom of heaven in his view right right i mean and so there's this part of it where but everyone who goes through that gate everyone who walks through that recognizes that they have to give up That there is that god is asking of their all which they also recognize it as worthless, but still, it, it's like you said. But you
0: have to lay down your life to pick it up again. Right, and so there's this
2: part of it where, I mean, you, you can't think of it in that way without thinking of it as a difficult process. And so when we turn it into easy believism, we're denying the pictures that God has given to us. We shouldn't expect it. And like you said, there are easy, there are easy childbirths. But, I mean, one characteristic is, is we just forget how weak babies are. And so there's a part of where even in an easy birth, there's this part of it where, I mean, this is why babies sleep. You can have the easiest birth you've ever had. The baby is going to sleep immediately after. You know, baby's going to eat and then he's going to go to sleep because babies are incredibly weak. And so even if it doesn't hurt that much, even if the babies just don't have that much to give. And so we just forget. The, again, the picture is very informative.
3: So so the baby's been born now.
0: It is also important to recognize when a baby's born, they don't have that much sense that they're born. There's a lot of pressure in the church to say, this is the day I was saved. But babies don't really, they have to be told their birth date. They don't know. And we push so much emphasis on, this is when I was saved. And that's really not the physical picture. The physical picture is you don't really know. The way you know that you're alive, that you were born, is that you're alive now. And that's the repeated emphasis of Scripture is make your calling election sure now. Babies don't really know when they're born, but we want to make it that we know the date that's actually a very dangerous thing the reality is what we should know is we're alive and we know we have a really good idea of what to
3: expect from a physical baby they basically eat they sleep and they need their diaper changed how does that correspond spiritually one of the things scripture says
2: immediately is, is that a baby you know is that you desire the sensory milk of the word i mean the very first thing that they recommend you to do with a baby is put it to the mother's breast so there's a part of it where i mean the you know the baby Comes out and the baby should begin eating the milk, drinking and eating, you know, eating the milk of the word, and that should be a very, very strong desire of God. Says it's a natural desire of a newborn, and we should, so the church in the sense should just be encouraging the baby to, to go to the word and read the word and and covering the baby so that the, the so that the newborn Christian can go to the word and can can read the word.
3: In the introduction, we referenced Hebrews, and and how. The author of Hebrews is chiding the people for wanting milk when they should be wanting solid food. The point of that is not to say it's bad to want milk. There's a stage in which milk is all you can handle, and this is that stage we're talking about. And it's good for that baby to want that. It's good for that spiritual baby to want the basic things.
0: And, you know, that same picture is used in, in 1 Peter too. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking— as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so so you know, Peter, in writing this, is even saying that, hey, these two are pictures that you're supposed to tie together, that the desire for the word is the same desire that a baby has for its mother's milk. That's what it's supposed to look like in a new Christian.
3: And I think there's a lot of pictures there for the church, more than just the new Christian. But think about a church that you've got babies in. Well, a baby can't feed themselves. Right. They need people, and they're and they're always hungry, and so when you have new Christians in your church who are actually Christians who actually have this desire, you should expect it to, you should expect there to be a cost on the church, a cost to hey these people need a lot of milk, we got to talk about the, we might have to talk about the same thing over and over and over, we might have to walk them through it from different angles. And, and there need to be people in the church who enjoy that, just like there are mothers who enjoy feeding their babies. And also, I mean, that's good for the church, too.
0: And I do think in Hebrews, it's also warning the church, because you can get to, we think there's babies here, so all we're going to do is keep doing milk, and that kills the rest of the church, because there's people that have moved beyond that stage. And I think there's a lot of churches in America that are exactly there, and that you just keep doing milk because you know there's there's little babies there that are, all they can consume is milk. So let's just keep giving them milk, but you starve everybody else, right? In a home, you don't just go, well, the baby's nursing, so now all we're going to have in for every meal is milk. Well, no, that everybody would get very weak in the household. So where that baby needs it to get strong, everybody else is made weak. by
3: And I'm, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, this is a division of labor. This is, if this person wants the really basic things of being a Christian, if they need to know those basic things about how to think about God and how to pray and how to read your Bible and how to develop those kinds of habits, well, the pastor doesn't need to be doing that work. It doesn't need to come from the pulpit. This is something that... Anybody else in the church that's a tiny bit more mature than them can help them with,
0: which I think is Hebrews five, right? When he says let not and you're not yet teachers, he's not contradicting what was said in James that let not many of you be teachers. He's going there is teaching of a newborn that's a lot different than the teaching of the church. It could be done by a five year old, right?
2: And so I mean, like one of the other things you mentioned was you know the baby they're they're born they they eat milk they they rest, they, when when they're resting, they're digesting the milk too, right? I mean, there's this part of it where, I mean, they eat and they usually go to sleep. And they go to sleep and like you said, and then they soil themselves and they need their diaper changed. And so there's this part of it where, I mean, when a Christian is first born, I mean, they're going to be eating the, they're going to be, you know, at the word, they're going to be digesting the word. And there's going to be things where they're going to, they're going to be sinning and they need to be cleaned up. They need somebody to come and clean them up and say, Teach them what to do, teach them how to handle these things, teach, you know, and show them how, and clean, just literally clean them up so that they can be clean and so that they can, you know, this is this is what you should expect from a from a newborn from a newborn Christian as well.
3: And we're talking about infancy and, and the way you're right. defining it is up through weaning. And and what you're expecting in this pe- period is one of the early things that that infant learns to do is not that. They learn to take care of themselves right. so that it's not a burden on the rest of the church. Right.
0: I mean that, that first stage is – because when they would wean, that picture weaning is an older child than what we typically wean at. A lot of times we wean at six months, five years. It looks like pretty clear if you match up all the time frame that Isaac was weaned at five. And so that's probably a good number to be thinking of when he's talking about weaning. And so by five, you expect them to be able to control their – their bladder to control you know and so we should expect people to get rapid control of sin in their life when they're spiritually born again and and we have that promise from like ezekiel 36 26 and 27 i will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and i will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them which is kind of the same thing that it says in First Peter, is that you'll turn from deceit, you'll turn from these things. and And at first, they may not recognize what sin is sin, right? I mean, they need to be taught, they need to be trained, they need to be cleaned up. But at the same time, in that stage, they need to be putting off sin. And if they're not putting off sin, they shouldn't think they've been born again, because that's a power that God gives when he saves. When you're born, he gives you the power so that you're no longer a slave to sin. You need knowledge, you need understanding, you need training, you need rebuke, you need all those things. Like, you know, if you think of a, of a child up to five, you know, in my experience, most children get most of their spankings up till five. They get a lot more when they're young than they do when they get older. And this is the same for Christians too, is they're supposed to turn from those sins and they're supposed to get, they're supposed to stop soiling themselves. That's the goal of that stage is that they stop soiling themselves.
3: Other things that an infant does during this period when you talk about how an infant's growing up and maturing, they do start eating solid food, small bits, usually well-prepared for them. They're not asked to cut it. They're not asked to go out and find it for themselves. It's it's being diced up and handed to them. So that happens. And obviously, this is the idea of, okay, now you're, you're giving some expectation. Well, hey, here's a spoon. Here's a fork. Figure out how to get the food for yourself, putting it just out. Are you reading your Bible now? Are you are you doing those kinds of things on your own where you're going out and doing something to try and and get a little bit meatier things where you're not always having to have somebody literally deliver it into your mouth?
0: Right, because the weaning is when you stop giving the breast milk. So obviously before you stop, they have to have transitioned. Right. And so when we think of this stage, the stage is about transitioning off of the, the basic word the only way that you can understand something if somebody else pre-digested it for you to where you can digest it for yourself. And they learn to talk, and they learn to walk. I think talking is really important because, I mean, and I, it, when you go into a church, and this is true of any field, every field has its own nomenclature. And the church and the Bible has its own nomenclature, right? I mean, like light is very meaningful, meaningful throughout Scripture, Right. It starts with dividing the light from darkness. It ends with dividing the light from darkness. Those who are righteous are divided from those who are unrighteous. And there's all this nomenclature that in the church you can know it, and, but we don't necessarily talk about it that much. right? There's just all these pictures in Scripture that you're supposed to know. And you know, during this period, they're supposed to get an understanding of the basic nomenclature, the basic language of Christianity. And some of that is just absorbed the same way children absorb language, right? right? The more you're around it, the more people are speaking it, the more the more you pick up and you start to understand these things. But it's important for us, just like with a child, you you speak to a child in a certain way. It's really easy because you're so used to using terms you know how many children have heard songs and then they hear them later and they go oh i thought it said this but it really says this because they didn't know the words and they didn't know the meanings and they couldn't connect it together and we should just recognize when you have a new christian it's really easy especially if they weren't if they didn't grow up in a christian home right you have paul who who was trained to be a rabbi when he hears it he knows all the language kind of and he immediately goes oh yeah this really meant this and this really meant this and but for a lot of people that come into the church, they don't really know the language or they were in, they were in a, a a place where a false gospel was preached so that they hear the language and they think they know the language, but it doesn't really mean what they think they mean. And the, the, that first five years of life, that's really where they're supposed to have a good understanding of what the words are, which doesn't mean it doesn't continue. But by the end of that five years to move out of that stage, they really have to understand the language. The only
3: way you get that language, really, is by being around people who speak it. Right. So it's it's not good for a Christian, a new Christian, to be by themselves. Any more and, than
0: it is good for a new baby to be left by itself all the time. Right,
3: and, and think that an hour and a half or two hours on a Sunday morning is going to suffice to teach them language. Right.
2: Like, and you also mentioned learning to walk. I mean, that's another big thing that happens, and I mean, and all throughout Scripture— there's references to learning to walk in my ways, learning to walk. You know, I mean, it's this is just this is something that it's so easy, it's so common that you almost forget about it. But when you think about it in the terms of someone growing up and someone growing in it, physically, I mean, these are the pictures all throughout scriptures that you actually learn where to put your feet, you learn how to move them, and by the time you're five years about old, to fall. And by the time you're five, you can do you. I mean you can do almost every physical thing that you're going to you may not you know you're not going to be like a gymnast or but by the time you're 5 you can run you can skip you can jump you can you know i mean you can do all the basic things that you can do as an adult you can't necessarily do them as well as someone who's an adult you're maybe not as coordinated as someone who's who's older but you can do all you know there aren't really any categories that you can't fundamentally do
3: but sure your infant's not really working. That's one thing I'd say. We, we, we don't expect an infant to be contributing.
0: All right. And that's one thing that I've seen happen in churches a lot is somebody makes a profession of faith, and next thing they have them doing all kinds of things in the church. And what they should do instead is have them focus on reading their Bible and understanding the things of God. And right away, the church wants to go, oh, you're, you, you have zeal. You have zeal. Do this and this and this and this and this. Well, what they really need to do is focus on God. And like you said, we don't expect infants to work, but yet spiritual infants, it's pretty common to expect them to work.
2: And there's a big connection between that and our, our misunderstanding of the whole conception birth process, that we're, we're so surprised when someone seems to be actually saved Right. You know what I mean? That we that we just immediately go. This we have to we have to capitalize on this, as opposed to this is a birth. We should be thinking about this, and we should just be letting the development and the process go along. It's it's. A-
0: and I do think that there's an important picture here with the, you know, now there in America there aren't that many babies that die in infancy, but that's not the history of the world. The history of the world is there are a lot that die in infancy, and I do think that's a picture of the parable that Christ said, the parable of the sower. Or some falls on the wayside, some falls, you know, on shallow earth, some falls among the thorns, some falls on on good ground. And Luke 8, 11 through 15, it says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away." Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and the pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And so we should expect during that infancy stage that there'll be people who never learn to clean themselves up because that's too hard. And the cares of the world make them just desire the sin and they never turn from the sin. And so we shouldn't be shocked that, that there's people who fall away that seem like they were born again, that are acting like they're born again. But in Christian infancy, they, you know, they die. They, they disappear from the church. They were only mean physically you, alive. They were only physically alive. And It doesn't mean that you don't pursue them, it does, but we also shouldn't be surprised when this happens because this does happen. This has historically happened that, that a large percentage of people that were born would die.
2: And it's important to point out, like you said here, it's not just an in infancy, but that someone can die. All you know, right? With, with like the those that are choked out by the thorns, that could be in short term, and that could be in long term. And so I mean, it's just as we go through this, this is kind of tied to the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, in the sense that those who are truly in Christ will continue till the end.
0: Right. So, what does childhood look like? I think when I was looking at Scripture, I would define childhood from weaning, which say is five, to to puberty, like, 12 or 13 or something like that. You know, you have Jesus speaking in the temple when he's 12, which seems to be a turning point. And so so what should we expect for somebody spiritually, well, physically and spiritually, in that, that realm of weaning to to puberty?
1: Well, I mean, Jonathan was mentioning that we don't expect uh, infants to work. And, you know, of course, like an infant, we don't expect to work. But, but these stages also aren't, like, a firm date where everything changes, and so by the by the time your kid is five, they're trying to do a lot of. They should be starting to do a lot of things, and so when you flip over into that childhood stage, now you are able to. You're you're in a stage where you are expected to do things where there are things, and even, that is a, perhaps countercultural these days. But it's something that if you look at scripture, you see. If you look at uh, an example here, would be the example of uh samuel and for samuel 1 23-24 it says this so so elkanah her husband said to her do what seems best to you wait until you have weaned him only let the lord establish his word then the woman stayed and nursed her son until she had weaned him now when she had weaned him she took him up with her and three bulls when he fought flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the lord in shiloh and the child was young so here you have samuel who was promised to the lord uh, promised to be dedicated to the lord and but he's kept with his mother until he's weaned and what does it mean uh, when he's turned over to the temple that we have in first samuel 2 11. then elkanah went to his house at ramah but the child ministered to the lord before eli the priest we made the connection there when he reaches that time of weaning he is ready to minister to the lord before eli he's not ready just to be in priest daycare He's ready to do ministry.
0: Right. It starts right away saying that he's, he's serving the Lord. And at five, he's actually able to, to start providing for himself. And he's less of a burden than he is a blessing. And I think you know, that's very counterculture. Now we think that's like 26 or something in our culture, as opposed to five is what they were thinking that and I wasn't taking it up to punish Eli by saying, here, I'm going to dump my kid off on you. He's going he can carry water, he can carry wood, he can do he can do work so that he's more than you know, he's producing more than he's consuming. And really when we think of childhood, we tend to think of that's a time where you're consuming a lot more than you're producing. Now that's supposed to be infancy. When you hit childhood, you're supposed to start producing more than you consume.
1: And it is a time of transition because it's it's not a time where you're full out on working. There are is still a lot to be learned. It's not that when your child is five, you send them off to the mines to start, you know, working a full job.
0: Historically, they have. But well, <laughs>
1: but that was not a good example. <laughs> that
0: was not a good example. That's a good way to kill your
1: child. So, you know, so it, it's a time where there's they can be productive and they also have things that they need to be learning.
2: I mean, and that's, it's really important to point out, like when you mentioned carrying water and carrying wood, those are things that, like, first of all, it doesn't take that much strength to do. And there's not that much room for But as you
0: get stronger, you can do it a lot more efficiently. Right.
2: But I mean but and it's also something that it's hard to mess up. Right. Yeah, I mean you know what I mean? It's like I mean, it's not hard to stack you know, if you stack some wood, there's only yeah, I mean, there's only so much room for error. And so you can have a five year old be able to do that. And I think it's just really there's a part of it where we have not prioritized even the idea of having work that's useful for small children to do. And I mean, like I, I still remember, you know, when my kid was, I mean, it was around that age, it was around four or five. We were folding clothes. I mean, and it, you know, I, I folded a washcloth, and my four-year-old came over and she took a washcloth and she folded it. And I looked at her and I went, "Oh, here's a stack of washcloths." You know what I mean? And and there was a part where she, at first she thought it was a game. I mean, and then it was work. I mean, but there's this part of it where I mean, it wasn't that hard. It was, it was something she could do. And as soon as she could do it, it's like this is a good thing for you to do. It is not bad. And it doesn't mean all of a sudden from that point on, that's all she did is we started to you know, bring bringing a dump truck load of washcloths every day. And I mean, there was other things for her to do and she had to do school and she had to do other things, but it's not wrong for that. And it's actually very, very, very good for them. And it shows that they actually have value.
0: I mean, we've just shifted our mindset, right? Because You know, like in Galatians 4, 1 and 2, it says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from the slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Well, this picture of a child not differ at all from a slave. A slave, even the words are very related between a child and a slave. Slave is basically the word for a child. And so when you think about that, right, they're basically going, both of them do menial labor. And everybody's expecting them to do menial labor, we don't expect that anymore, and and we should be expecting that not just from our five-year-olds but also from, from the children in the church. There's a point where you're supposed to feed them. You're supposed to give them the milk. You're supposed to strengthen them. You're supposed to point out what sin is, but then they're supposed to be working for the church. We, we deprioritize work so much so that we're then shocked when you have 50-year-olds that act like five-year-olds well you the church has never expected them to produce anything well that wasn't historically what when you enter into childhood you're start to pro, supposed to start to produce things as as the writer of hebrews says you know you're still on milk you haven't been weaned yet but you should have been weaned so that you'd be a teacher so even that 5 year old can now teach you know a, a 5 year old can teach a 2 year old how to crawl or how to walk you know because they should already be crawling but <laughs> bad example. But anyway, <laughs> but you get the idea that there's things that the, that the young child can already start to teach. And, and it doesn't mean that you have them teaching, you know, preaching from the pulpit because I've seen people do that with people that are very spiritually immature. But it does mean that there's real work they can do in the church. And I think a lot of times some of the menial labor in the church gets passed over because we're not willing to have the, the spiritually young do that work and that's actually a good work for them to do.
1: What type of work are you, are you referring to then?
0: Some of that is really just basic evangelism. Somebody who's just saved, they should know the gospel well enough that they can they can talk to their neighbors when they're going to the store, they can talk to the cashier when they run to some into somebody on the street. But I mean that would be one of the most basic things that the church tends to not do. And the pastor isn't supposed to be doing that. He's supposed to be edifying the the believers for the work of the ministry in the real ministry is to go out and witness to the community and witness to the people around them. And that's the work of the church, and we just don't do it.
3: And I think about childhood. I think about my own children. And one of the things that happens when they're in this stage is whatever you're doing, I want to do. Right. And so that's one of the ways you can identify somebody as being in this stage is when, they, when somebody just starts looking for work, and they don't even know it's work yet. But when they just like, hey, I want to contribute something and you're looking at them thinking, you don't have much to contribute, but you need to find something where you can say, All right, here, this church has wanted to do this. We haven't had the hands for it. Here here it's yours.
2: Right. Can you look up all the verses in the Bible that has this that are about this? And let's you know, let's we're gonna read through each one of them. Can you just compile a list you know, what I mean it's just there are and things that And we have to be careful
0: not to make it busy work too, and I'm not right. accusing right. you of suggesting that, but but part of this is the church doesn't think enough about the work that it needs to do, so it doesn't have work for right. the five. I was thinking
2: like sermon research. You know what I mean? Like right. we're I'm doing a research on this. Can you let's pull together this list and let's read through all of them. Is there anything that stand out to you? And and so I mean, and there's a part of it where it's tied to something that you're actually doing, and it actually helps them learn about. You know, I, I mean, I, I still I still remember helping with you know, certain sermons that I remember helping with years ago, that they just stand out to you because you ended up spending time actually looking at specific things. And so, I mean, it's, there's a lot of things that actually can be done.
3: Go ahead. I was going to say, when you read Paul's letters, you always you can tell Paul has a certain ambition for his accomplishments and the work of the church, and that there's always more that could be done, but it's held back by the By the flesh and travel plans get in the way. But but one of the things you see with Paul is he always, he thinks that it's good to want more. And it would be good if the church always had that ambition for, hey, we could be doing more work if we had more laborers. The fields are wide under harvest. If there were more laborers than there are, that would be a good thing. And so all of a sudden you get somebody who comes along who is out of infancy, they're ready to work. There should be some work that's set up there. Great, you, you can do this.
1: And and when you were mentioning Paul's in in his epistles, you know, I was thinking about, you know, the other people that are mentioned in his epistles, um, like people who are mentioned at the end, like saying the people who actually wrote the epistle. I mean, they're helping Paul. And then you have some of them where they actually, we think that Paul, I forget which one it is, but there's several of them where the person actually is in the beginning, like Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Like, they actually all you know, we call it Paul's epistle. I think at times he even uses the singular I in the epistle, but they contributed enough to be in that beginning. And they may not, may, they probably weren't children, but there are, you know, different levels where people are contributing in a very significant way, significant enough to be recorded in the scriptures, um, but it wasn't rising to the apostolic level.
3: Joshua, you asked the question, what counts as menial labor? Or what What's the sort of labor that the spiritual child could do? And I'd say... I don't ignore the physical things that the church needs right. done. Things like ministering to widows and orphans. Somebody's got to take the meal to the person who's sick. Hospitality. I mean, this is this is something you can do as soon as you're out of infancy. You can say, all right, I have a house. I have resources. I will have people in it. And, and those are the kinds of things that early on you can start developing those habits for. And,
0: and prayer is another one that's yeah. very significant that you can be calling out to God and crying out to for wisdom to understand what God's will is to understand the things that we should be praying for right I mean Romans eight, the idea that the spirit groaning with us to pray for what we ought to pray for i mean the the child should be crying out and doing that menial labor of prayer so that they actually figure out what the Holy Spirit wants us to be praying for right i mean that's you know that's that's something that a child can do. And so, we should be thinking about it that way is this is real labor in the church that people should be doing that's important labor for the kingdom of God.
2: We forget that the word menial means household, right you know what I mean and it's we think of it as drudgery or hard work, and it's just it, it's household work and so I mean it's just when you think about that, it should be things that are tied to the running of the spiritual household and I mean, you know, I think one of the other things that we're going to go into next is you know is that they need to be able to start handling the word and be able to reason. You know, I mean, I think, you know, being able to actually, that you actually start, you know, you first learn just language and you learn how to speak, and then there starts to be the fact that you actually begin to learn how to to use it to think logically and that you can actually take scripture and think about it. And this allows you to actually, in one sense, I mean, not evangelism necessarily in the sense of going out the way we think of evangelism, but going out and actually in your, your nature of your language being such that when you speak with people as you go through life that it increases the light in the world that it increases the truth in the world that it in, that their the nature of their language isn't to like how to figure out how to make the spiritual but that they're that that they've learned to speak in such a way that things point back to God and God's truth and how he needs to be proclaimed and how he needs to be praised in the world and so i mean these are this is part of that spiritual stage.
0: It seems to me the first step of that is captured pretty well in Psalm 131, because the first step of that is being able to do that for yourself. And so Psalm 131, verses 1 and 2, it's the song of a sound of David. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my li- eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child from his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I mean, you know, you kind of said before that one of the signs of being entering into childhood is, is an eagerness to do things. Another th- sign of entering into child, becoming a child is, I mean, the David's writing and saying, I can read the scripture and find the things that answer my questions without going to somebody else. I can calm myself, just like the, Before the child's weaned, he needs his mother to come and to calm him. Once he's weaned, he's not really weaned if he needs his mother still to calm him. He has to be able to calm himself. So there's a level of handling of the Word that then continues to grow so that you start to affect the people around it. But the first thing, kind of the sign that you're entering into childhood, is that you can handle the Word of God well enough so that you can calm yourself from the Word without somebody else involved.
3: Which is just another way of saying you've got a measure of self-control in a specific area. Right, you, you are able to control your own soul, your spirit, your emotions by the word, by yourself, without having somebody else to do that for you all the time. Right.
2: And it's really interesting as you think about this, you can realize that both physically and spiritually, we've often mistaken what weaning is for. Because there's, this, you know, I mean, that there are children who are, I mean, there's a lot of people who don't know how to control themselves coming out of, you know, control themselves just emotionally. I mean out of this stage of childhood, there's a lot of people time in the church where we don't realize that part of this, that infancy stage is the church comforting them, but that comforting them also being instructive, that there's this part of it where they, they begin to learn how to comfort and calm themselves. And so I mean so that just the idea of people being able to comfort and calm themselves, that's not common in churches, <laughs> right You know what I mean this is not something that is, that is normal and even expected. And so, I mean,
0: it's, I think it's a really, it's an interesting thing. You know, when we think of physical childhood, right, those, you know, from five to 13 or 12 or 13, it really is a time where the child learns to reason. And so that's another thing that as they do the work and as they are productive and as they are doing these other things, they should be learning how to think. And the church is doing a really horrible job of teaching people how to think. But that's really, in if you don't learn how to think, you're still like a child where you can't reason, right? I mean, we're at a society now that a five-year-old says that they're a boy, but they think they're a girl. And all of a sudden we go, oh, they've reasoned that through. No, they haven't. They don't know how to reason. And then you have them older that say the same thing now because they never learned to reason. But in the church, there's a lot of people that never learned to reason from Scripture. So they're basically ch- children in Christ at best because they can't actually go and say, okay, so from this I... Calc- I." From this, this implies this, which implies this. So therefore, in this situation, this is the right thing to do. And, you know, Paul, when he writes in Romans 12, 2, says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That requires reasoning. That requires to take the thoughts and to think them through as to what does God want in this situation. And that's really what childhood is for physically, and I think spiritually, it matches, that that you need to be able to take the Word and apply the Word and understand the Word and not just say, well, this is what it says. So, you know, God said it, I'm done. No, that's not how that's not how Paul treats the Word of God, and that's not how we're to treat the Word of God.
3: And we we're talking about this phase as being, say, 5 to 13. There's a lot that happens in that phase. There's a lot that a child learns about reasoning. There's a lot that a child learns about work. There's a, lot, there's a lot of progression that you're expecting in that. And and Charles already referenced, we did a whole podcast on putting aside childish things. But, you know, 1 Corinthians thirteen eleven. 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And this is just talking about, hey, you've got certain attitudes, mannerisms, habits that are natural to childhood. But the point is to mature out of them. Paul's saying this is this is a classic example of Paul talking about spiritual growth, and that's something that you're expecting in this phase, that as the child grows up, the 13-year-old is not going to be like the 5-year-old. And by the time you're into the next phase, that these are the sorts of things that they're
0: putting away. And by the time they turn 13, they should be thinking like a man or woman, right? I mean, it's they should be able to reason. Now, they may not have the same rhetoric that you would have later. And they don't have the but, experience. And They don't have the experience, but they should be able to reason. And and so a lot of the putting away childish things, because Paul's really focused there on thought, is they should not think like a child by the time they turn 13. They but, should think like an adult with lacking the data, lacking the information. They're still lacking the experience. But to be able to reason, they should be able to reason like an adult. The and
2: it, form and, of their
3: thought, well, right? Well, and, and the... the the form of that verse was, I spoke and I thought, and you know, you could say, well, how do you measure this? Is your 13-year-old able to have a conversation with an adult about adult things? That's when you know that you're on this path where things are, are moving the right way. Spiritually, you you can see how this would—this you, you know, this is thinking about, hey, let's get into some deeper doctrines. Let's think about this doctrine more fine-grained. Let's see, how does this apply to me? How do I take some ownership of this? So those are all examples of how, hey, let's grow up. Let's grow up.
0: I mean, and this is, you know, I think Christ coming to the temple is this picture of the transition, right? In Luke 2, 42 through 49, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And there is a point where they're too mature, so they're saying, No, I have my own ministry before God. Right, The child, when he's a child in his, his parents' house, right, all he's doing is supporting somebody else. But there's a point where you go, I need to be about my father's business for myself. And that's really kind of the transition, I think, from childhood to young adulthood is where you start to build spiritually a ministry for yourself physically, you know, in the the physical world that you start to build a life for yourself and you start to separate yourself from your parents. And so I think that's the spiritual parallel and the physical parallel. It's kind of this transition where you start to say, no, I have to answer to God for myself. I'm not just here to do the things that the church says i'm here to do what god would have me to do
3: and i've probably read that last line so many times do you not know that i must be about my father's business that it just kind of it's sort of euphemistic and and not not think carefully about the words of he's saying my father has a company and my career starting
0: you know. And that's that's kind of what I'm saying yeah the, exactly. the spiritual is that you're supposed to say, I, I was saved to be a slave of God, and I have a ministry that God has appointed for me before the foundation of the world, and I need to be about that ministry. And that ministry might be a ministry to support somebody else. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But it's also you need to be going, what does God have for me? When you have a child, they don't specialize much. But then there's a point where all of a sudden adults – they start to specialize a lot. And spiritually, that's what we should expect. People, There's different parts of the body, and you once you mature to a certain part, you should be going, no, I shouldn't be up there speaking. I am I'm, able to to get big things to happen in the church. I'm a hand, and I should be about the work of a hand. And this is really that transition where you start to say, I'm not a foot, I'm not a mouth, I'm a hand.
2: I mean, I think, and some of this should be if you've grown up in America, a lot of this will be a little bit alien to you. I mean, there's a part of it where I mean, and, and understand Jesus Christ is perfect, right? He's doing this without without any sin, and so there's this part of it where I mean, he's he's going to be the pinnacle of what you can expect a 12 year old, 13 year old to be at this age, and so and also there's just understand your natural reaction is to go, what you're saying is at 13, my child should distance himself from me as a parent? No. We're not, we're saying this is the beginning of it. This is where it begins. And it's just really, I mean, I think it's just so.
0: But we should step back and go throughout most of history, young men at 13, they'd become apprentices. Right. So, I mean, that's not like a weird age. This is where they used to be doing this, where they'd go, okay, now I must be about what my, I must be about my vocation. Let's use that term. I must be about what God has called me to do,
2: and that's—I mean, right. I mean, that's—I mean, it's a big. I mean, I'm just saying. In the end, I think people's their minds—they just we just by our default we take it to be as extreme as it can be, and so. But but, and your point is, is it's more extreme than it should be, more extreme than you probably think it should be, right? And so, I mean, and so, but, but there's not a, as
0: extreme as you can make it, where you forsake father and mother because of right. Me. No, nobody's saying that you have right. to automatically do that. But they are saying, you were saved, God saved you to produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And there's a point in your Christian walk where you need to be, I need to be about producing what I'm supposed to produce. Right.
2: And my and part of what I want to say in this is just understand there's going to be so far you can move. You're only going to be able to move so far in your thinking you know, I mean, you're you are where you oh, are. Oh, come on, be more optimistic, and, and you're, but I'm just saying, <laughs> renew your mind. You, you should try to move <laughs> as far as you can. You right. should try to move as absolutely far as you can, but understand. It's going to be this. This is going to be shocking to a lot of people, I think.
3: And the the time period, the the age group that we're looking at might seem arbitrary. And I I remember when you first pitched this to us, we thought it was all arbitrary to say thirteen to thirty because there's a lot that happens there in thirteen to thirty.
0: I don't do arbitrary things, Jonathan. I know on. you don't,
3: <laughs> and, and that's I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to warm up to it a little bit. That that hey, scripturally speaking, if you're looking for boundaries on the f- stages of life. You've got one at 13-ish, and you've got one at 30. Right. The 30 one's actually a lot brighter A the Much bri- brighter, um, yes. Because, but, but—
0: But physically, the 13 one's a lot brighter, right? According to, like, rules of Scripture, the 30 one's bright, right? Yeah. Christ becomes a—you know, he starts to, his public ministry at 30. A priest starts their ministry at 30. But then you look at physically, puberty's a much brighter line than 30, And so in the physical picture, I think, you know, you know what I mean? The puberty, you can actually see it easier. We've been talking about kind of these, you know, these five stages. And it is important to recognize kind of the overall picture because there's a real transition that's happening at the age 12. Where if you look at it like infancy, you know, up to weaning, that's really where other people have to take care of you. And childhood is supposed to be where you start to be able to take care of yourself. And then the next stage is where you actually can start to take care of a household and you start to take care of other people. And then the next stage, the middle age, the, the prime of life, so to speak, that's really where you start to like actually advance the church. You start to advance society. You start to actually make a positive impact on the world. And then the elders is where you start to you start to be preparing the next generation and she- in transitioning to the next generation so that they take over and you become an advisor so that the the church continues to build over time. And so when we think about this, this physically, this is, I mean, the childhood is kind of where you get your basis for how much the church or a family will affect the society. Because if you don't have the basis of people being able to take care of themselves and to be able to provide for themselves and to be able to control themselves, and you need to hand them everything, then you never move on to those other stages that actually cause there to be an impact on the world. You never cause the church to be healthy. You never cause the church to be salt and light to the world outside. You never cause the, the next generation to be prepared to go further than you did. If you don't get that infancy where you're building the knowledge sufficiently so that they can go, I understand the things of God, I understand the language, Right? Because language gets twisted all the time. We're warned in Second Peter two that false teachers come and they twist the language to their own destruction of scripture. And learning those things and understanding that 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 having that good childhood up to thirteen, and we think that's too young, but that's the scriptural picture. Up to thirteen, that really sets the foundation for how much the church will do.
3: And it's it sets it in in another way of at least at a minimum, cultivating the desire to work and a recognition of there's work to be done and you can do it. I, you, you think anybody who's raising children and you start giving those children work to do, you don't think, okay, good. My child's learning to wash dishes. They'll use that later in life. They can they, they will be a dishwasher for their whole life. You just don't think that way. You think they are learning work ethic so that someday later when they have a career laid out before them, they'll know okay, how do I work? I finish the thing that I'm doing and then I pick up the next thing and then I pick up the next thing until the pile's gone. You know, That's what you're thinking about right then and you start those habits young. Even though the work there is not the work that you expect that person to be doing their entire life.
0: Right, but building those habits, building the desire to do work, building the desire to, to have an impact on the people around you. And so much of the church doesn't do this because you can look at these things too and you can... The same pattern also plays out in churches, which is really important to recognize as well. Right when a church gets planted, it's like an infant, and all it's doing is trying to get its language so that the people that are there can communicate with each other and get the basic foundation. And then it tries to get to the point where, where it's self-sufficient and it doesn't need help from outside. And when it does that, in those stages, take some time, but they do go through that stage. But there's a lot of churches that never go to the next stage where they actually build a household, where they actually have the communication with each other sufficiently so that they're actually producing something together. And then they, if you don't do that, then you never affect the society. And we live in a society where the church isn't impacted. And I would argue that it's largely because most churches are at best in their childhood. They're a lot of them are still in their infancy where they don't even know the language. Everybody just comes in. They sit there for an hour. They leave after an hour. They don't even know the things of God. They don't know, they don't know how to stop sinning. They don't know how, to, you know how to stop soiling themselves. And nothing happens in America when we look at the results of where America looks like. I would say we have to argue that the church, most churches are still acting like they're in their childhood. So I think you
3: threw a new idea in right there where we've we've been trying to talk about individuals moving through spiritual stages of of salvation and and then maturity and growth. But you just talked about that same principle applying to church bodies, like like a group of, I mean, it makes sense. You get a brand new church and somebody goes and plants a church. You get a bunch of people together. Hi, who are you? I don't know you. Let's figure out, and you know, or even
0: you've been in church with the, you're you're a third of another church that goes out, and you don't really know that third that well, and you need to get to know each
3: other better, and yeah, and you're doing all that stuff largely. That's the focus. That's the main goal of that church in its early days before it starts looking out at the community and saying, okay, how do we affect this community? How do we reach this community? those are those are early steps but not first steps and
0: right and and there's a point where even before you can reach the community you have to be saying so what do we believe how do we get our house in order so that we're growing our people that we're doing this and a lot of it ends up being that a lot of church plants are basically a pastor doing things so it's like the rest of the people in the church are still in their childhood they're not like actually unless you get them to do things you'll never move out it's a nursery model it's a nursery you know what I mean? it's, model. It's, yeah. It's we, one one adult we, and everybody we else We say kids. that we're planning churches, but we're really planning nurseries often. Right. And that's a really dangerous thing.
2: I mean, as you when you were describing all the different phases together and you were talking about it, I mean it's you were very much it's what I was trying to express when we started this, where I was saying like you look back and you as you come out of a phase, you realize what it should have been for. And there's this part of it where I mean there's two parts that we should understand. One is there is a way to, ma- I mean, you are really saying you can maximize your effectiveness if you use each stage to its fullest potential as you go through it. You really, I mean, and there is a part of it where it's like you can, comp- it's like a, like you're compressing a sprint, you're you are putting as much into it as you can so that as you come out of it now, your potential is increasing so that you can go and do more. And And we really should think of it that way.
0: And your spiritual, right, the physical is, you know, it's, a baby has to live on milk for a certain length of time. Its digestive tract hasn't built up, right? I mean, there's, it, it doesn't have the physical coordination to be able to walk. I mean, it just takes time. And there's physical things that physically take time for that child. That's not – I mean, Paul's preaching to people like right after the scales drop off of his eyes. Spiritually, these things can be compressed, like you said, like a spring. And we should be looking and saying – the sooner you get through those earlier stages, as long as you do them soundly, right? Because if you just skip and say, well, I know what it means to be light, so I'm just going to use light as a metaphor all the time, which I've been at plenty of churches that do that where they don't actually understand what it means. They don't actually know language. They just kind of, you know, they're like a baby that's imitating it. And But if you actually learn it, there's not like you have to have the five years. You can compress it down. And the more you compress it down, the more you can do for the kingdom because There's, you know, it's like Paul's going, you don't want to remain a child all the time. You want to grow up. And that's what everybody in church should be doing. But we should recognize that our church model and the idea that you go out and bring people in from seminaries rather than growing people up inside the church, everything in the church model that we've adopted ends up keeping the churches in the childhood. And we look and we say there's no effect on the the society around us by the church. Well, this is why. This is one of the reasons why is we don't actually say, I have, as a Christian, God saved me to minister, to do something. And the, if you just stay in childhood all the time, you never do anything. And I think that's largely the church.
2: I mean, it, the other thing I think that's really important to understand, too, is that God has verses where he talks about if you do look back and you recognize that you've failed that repentance, that God's, uh, you know, there's verses, I think, where he talks about, you know, he can take the years that the locusts have eaten, even, you know, even the locusts that destroy everything, that he can take them, he can take, and he can give you back the yield from those years. And, you know, there's verses where he talks about giving beauty for ashes. And so, I mean, so there is this part of it where if you're sitting here and you're looking forward, you shouldn't take any of this lightly. You shouldn't go, this is, this doesn't matter. This isn't important. It is very important. But if you're in a position where you've wasted some of your earlier time. If you actually repent, God actually is very merciful. And I think that's that's very important to remember as you do this, is God actually does God can God can break his own rules of of, of sowing and reaping and say, I'm gonna give you a more bountiful harvest than by any reason you should have expected.
3: There's a way to look at those lost years with regret and just and just heartbreak. And that's the wrong approach. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's not more pain for you as you go through and you try and recover what's been lost. Doesn't mean that you don't have to work harder, but it you also have to, you have to lean into the sovereignty of God and say, in the sovereignty of God, he let me live that life that I lived that way for those years, and now he's revealing to me what I should have done. And that's his kindness and that's his plan and i have to live with that's who i was and this is what god is telling me i ought to be doing now and and trust that in god's sovereignty he's giving you sanctification when it is absolutely best for you and best for his plans
0: and and also that it should be incentive because you don't have to go it's going to take me you know 17 years to go from 13 to 30 is to go in that time period I'm supposed to get my house in order. I know more now, so I'm older. I can get my house in order even though spiritually I haven't been doing what I should be doing. I'm going to go do it now so that I can go on to the next phase sooner. And we shouldn't think those phases spiritually are fixed or in ways. Yeah, you know, This applies to the physical too. There's people that start their household when they're 40. Well, what should they do? They should work harder to get their household in order faster so that they can have an impact on the world around them. As we were discussing this, obviously, this went longer than we were hoping so that that we'll have to do another episode to get the next three stages of life. But it really is worthwhile to consider for these first two stages. How are you doing? How is your church doing? What expectation do you have for other people? Think about a mother that never cared for her child to to breastfeed the child, to give it nourishment and just let it starve. A church that doesn't do that for the the new believers, that's what they're like. And we look at that physically and go, that's terrible. But spiritually, it's terrible, too. The church has real problems, and one of the real problems is we're not helping people grow up the way that we should, and we're not expecting them to grow up the way that they should. When they reach certain stages, we need to have the expectations that match the scriptures because that's how the church will get healthy and strong and be able to, to actually impact the world around it we hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you'll join us for the next episode when we do the next three phases of life. Thanks for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project
2: of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe here or in your favorite podcast app.
3: Thanks for watching.